When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, oh, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, would you bring these words from your scriptures to life afresh to us in a new way in Christ's name. Amen. Children, what did you think of that lighthouse song? Did you like it? We got some hands up. Yeah, it's a favorite in our house amongst the kids. That was for you. So, okay, couple of notes. If you have a song request, you could take the back of your bulletin. It's got to be a worship song or a hymn. And children only, Michael, I'm watching you. Uh, you can write it down the back, put it in the basket, and we will sift through those and collect them and see if we can't add them in. All right, you got that, so get writing. Okay, so this is Pentecost Sunday. And as we look at this passage, I want to state the obvious, which I, I'm known to do. We may have heard and known the story many times, but the author is present with us now. Wasn't it glorious hearing the scriptures uh, read in various languages? I wanted to applaud at the end. But the one who authored that and who orchestrated this historical event on the day of Pentecost is here now, and he's in the room. 
And so I want to spend just a few moments talking about this event on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, often throughout history, um, has been, in some areas, ignored. I was taught as a child not to play with fire um, because you can get burned. Um, I was, and then we would, uh, or he's, the Holy Spirit's often misunderstood, and, you know, he's referred to in the Scriptures as appearing as a dove, and yet here in Texas, dove are delicious. They're hunted, but is it right to shoot at God? Probably not. Um, and so it's so confusing, isn't it? And yet there are two things in this text that I'd like to draw your attention to. And the first is, if you have your bulletins open, the first is this, this incredible thing that happens is signaled in verse 4, is that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the second thing happens in verse 11, which we had highlighted for us at the beginning, which is that we, they began to tell of the mighty works of God. So just a few moments on each of those. The first is when the event takes place, there is a sign for hearing. They heard something that sounded like the rushing of wind. Some of us heard that during the ice apocalypse, and it wasn't wind, it was the shattering of a pipe, and it, was, it wasn't wind, it was water, and it terrified us all. Um, but this isn't just any sound, it's the sound of wind, and we know that in the scriptures, in the Old and in the New Testament, both the Hebrew and the Greek use one word for this. In the Greek, it's the Ruach of God. In the, uh, sorry, in the Hebrew, it's the Ruach. In the Greek, it's the pneuma, the, the breath of God. Then there's the sign of sight. Look down with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the like a mighty rushing of wind, and it filled an entire house where they were sitting. And then they see a sign of sight. They saw what they described as tongues of fire. It's so, the text is so helpful because they saw something, that they described it as that. So they were stumbling over words. Um, and that's where we get to with artistic expression. I want to express it, and, and here's a picture of what it looked like. Fire is another symbol often associated with the Spirit. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 promised that a baptism was coming that would be one of the Holy Spirit and fire. Finally, there comes the invisible reality that all the signs pointed to, and it's in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The greatest event in the history of the world after the incarnation and after the resurrection is described in the simplest, most sober way. It's almost underwhelming. And isn't it God's style to perform magnificent, magnificent acts with the minimum of means and words? It just happened. The drama of the thunder and of the earthquake, you know, it, sometimes it just, it just happens and it's, it's so lightly stated. And when the Holy Spirit comes, and this is the miracle, he presents people. And this is the miracle that 
the Lord is looking to do tonight, when the Holy Spirit comes, He presents people with a different face for God. He presents God as an ally, not as an adversary. He presents God as a good father who did not spare even his own son for them. A God, in short, who shows them favor instead of punishment. Up until now, the Spirit only came, the Holy Spirit only came on specific people at specific times for a specific purpose. But this is new. Why? Because they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, if we fast forward, we have a summary of the prophecy that pointed to this event, to the birth of the church. And here we see it. The Holy Spirit comes upon the young and the old men. And this is the revolution. Women who in the first century, it would have thought, well, why would the Spirit of God come upon and fill women? Because of the, just the stereotypes of that day. But here we see the Spirit of God is a revolutionary act. He's doing revolutionary work. He's leveling the playing field. All receive him. Generally speaking, today, if you go to Baylor or Presbyterian or any hospital, and you meet with someone who's about to go in for heart surgery, open heart surgery, the first person that comes to visit is the anesthesiologist, if I got that correct, right? Because you need anesthetic to have heart surgery. And then they go through surgery, and I've visited many who've had heart surgery. And, you know, as they wake up, they don't feel anything different. It takes a little while until the operation is over to see a change. Well, on the day of Pentecost, the, the apostles did not get any type of anesthetic. There was no delay. The heart bypass wasn't done with, anest with anesthesia. The things the apostles began to do very shortly afterward leave no doubt that something had changed in their hearts. A change like the one we see in their behavior, one of spontaneous enthusiasm, I have to schedule spontaneity into my calendar. Anyone else? Not so on the day of Pentecost. It's just this, this eruption of spontaneous enthusiasm in front of a sneering crowd who thought at first they were drunk. This can only be explained by a change in their heart, a strong change, a strong change of emotion, which happens when there's a sudden realization that everything is now different. Why? Only love can do this. And then they begin to tell, fast forward to verse whatever it is, verse 11, verse 12, they begin to tell of God's marvelous deeds. And so they have this experience at Pentecost. And as they were carried away, they begin to get carried away by something. What is it? It's the love of God. And remember, the author of this event and of this text is present now in East Dallas. 
here in this church. He's present to you now, and he's the God of love. And what happens is the apostles and those presents, they felt themselves immersed, overflowing, drowning in an ocean of the Father's love. They discovered for the first time what the love of the Father was. Jesus had been banging on about it for three years. For three years they were with him and he talked about the love of the Father and they didn't get it. And all of a sudden, the penny has dropped. The dots have been connected. This is, must have been what Jesus meant. Jesus spoke to them about it for so long and in vain, and all of a sudden, it comes true. And they discover that this love is tender. This is the love that's in the name Abba, with which they heard their master Jesus share about many times. How do we know all this? Well, the great portions of Paul's writings speak of the Holy Spirit as love. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, love is poured out. With good reason, we can be cautious about people who talk about the excesses of the Spirit and other things because it's just so disconnected from reality. But here, we see that the, the focus in Scripture is on love being poured out. And the first thing he does when he enters people's heart is to teach them to cry out, Abba. To say that all were filled with the Holy Spirit is to say that they were all filled with an overflowing sense of love. And this is the normative standard of Christianity. To be filled, maybe not in Dallas, but probably in Dallas, that's what the normative expectation is. But if you look at the church globally throughout its history, the normal thing that happens when people have this encounter with the Spirit is that they're filled with love and they're just so lovely to be around. This is a historical affirmation, not a theoretical one. It refers to a very specific event. Paul makes this explicit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And it's at Pentecost that this love is poured out through the Spirit. Now, something else is going on, and if you have a study Bible, which I'm so thankful for because it has all the answers in the, in the columns, is that Luke is very carefully showing us that something that began in Genesis is being turned upside down. And in Genesis 11, we hear that everyone spoke the same language, and they desired to build a tower that they might be like God. And so they build this tower, and their pride is so great that what God has to do is he has to divide their ability to speak, and the tower is left undone. And because of Babel, division, lack of communication, discord, all of the, the seeds of prejudice and hate are born. 
And so on the day of Pentecost, what Luke's trying to say to us here is when with the pouring out of the Spirit, the trappings of the Tower of Babel are undone. It's overturned. This new event brings unity, harmony, and communion because suddenly there's an ability to love. They wanted to erect a temple to God, but not for God. They wanted to make a name for themselves, not for God. They were using God. And that's always a temptation, isn't it, to use God for our purposes. At Pentecost, instead, everyone understood each other because they had forgotten about themselves. The apostles didn't want to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make one for him. They were no longer discussing among themselves who was the greatest. They were turned upside down by the Holy Spirit. They were dazzled by the glory of God. When was the last time you were dazzled by the author of this text and of this event who's here with us now? Everyone understood them because they didn't speak about themselves. They spoke about him, God's great deeds. One of the, I feel the same way, one of the great revolutions in astronomy was the Copernican Revolution. When we realized that Earth wasn't the center of the solar system, the sun was. The great revolution of faith is what happens here at Pentecost, their own type of Copernican revolution where they realize that I am not the center of life, Jesus is. And I must center around him instead of trying to make everything else center around me. No longer the center of the universe, the disciples began to move with great boldness and with great power and great expectation. But these mighty deeds they were telling, these weren't scripted sermons. They were moved by love, and what they began to do, they began to say words of praise with great enthusiasm. They were telling of the glory of God in their own language. They were doing it as a prayer of praise with great enthusiasm. And this is the great gift of the church when it praises him. It helps us decentralize off of our own sense of who we think we ought to be. It enables us to put him in the center. That is the act of praise. But what is the fruit? What is the fruit of this? People in our culture are longing for the fruit of this when they want an end to racism, pick a social justice issue, and they're longing for the same thing the apostles began to see. People today are longing for the kingdom. They just don't know the king. And it's on the day of Pentecost, they discovered who the king was, an ally, not an adversary. Someone who was for them, not against them. Someone who wanted to show favor, not judgment. And all of a sudden, we begin to see that their lives at the end of chapter two are described with simplicity and joy. 
They begin to share everything. Is this a communist regime? No, this is a, a generosity that comes out of love, where I see that I have something, I have more than I need, and you have nothing. Well, maybe you could use this. These are people from different parts of society sharing meals and praying together. A few days before, some of them had been involved in the persecution of Christians. Perpetrators of injustice are now meeting with victims of injustice in love. And the walls of hatred and diversity are broken down. And there's a reconciliation and a unity at work. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what happens when love comes in. And people don't just know of God, they're connected to him. And as the love of God fills them and they become known, he becomes known to them and they know him. As we do this, everything changes. They were all filled and they told of the mighty deeds of God. So, how about you? When was the last time you were dazzled by the glory of God who authored this text and orchestrated this event? The one who orchestrated the incarnation, the one who orchestrated the resurrection, and who orchestrated the event of Pentecost that gave birth to a church of which we are a modern-day expression. Would you like to be filled with his love again? I'm sure everyone would love that. All we need is opportunity. So we're going to give you an opportunity in a moment. I've learned never to surprise Texans. You just don't know who's carrying a gun or a knife or, you know, and it's, it's lovely, actually. I've never felt more safe. So I'm not going to surprise you. This is what we're going to do in a moment's time. The band are going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song of praise. When the, uh, and, and as we're going to invite you to stand, we're going to sing together. And then, as you know, we have visiting uh, friends here. They're, we're going to come up. There'll be five pairs of us at the front. And if you would like to be filled, uh, uh, prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, um, there'll be an opportunity to do so. Now, remember, I love the 4th of July, and I'm a Canadian. Why do I love the 4th of July? The fireworks. They're fantastic. They're corny dogs. They're delicious. There's such a sensory expression of what it means to live in America. And we think that the spiritual experiences ought to be the same. Will there be corny dogs in heaven? Absolutely. There just won't be a monopoly on the best of them, right? Will there be fireworks in heaven? Absolutely. But I found the most normal thing to happen when you receive prayer is for it to be a rather simple sober expression of God's touch, that if we weren't there, we could easily have missed it. That's absolutely normal. It's also normal sometimes, if you're dysfunctional like I am, that when someone prays for you, there's, there is a bit of a, a dramatic response because I need the drama for God to get through to me. Sometimes he needs to just mute me so that I can hear what he has to say. But most of you aren't as bad off as I am. It's all normal, but we'd like to compare. And so when the music's playing, we'll sing for a bit. Then I'll invite you, if you'd like to, that you don't have to, all can, 
non-mas, some will. Just come down. And there'll be five groups of us up here just to say a simple prayer and anoint you with oil. And then you go back to your seats. It might take two minutes. It might take ten. And then when we're done, there'll be snow cones after communion. So it's bread, wine, and ice. It's great, isn't it? It's because it's a feast day. You know, the church says that the unity could be seen and touched by hands. Tertullian reports that the pagans of his time, seeing the Christians come out of their meetings, exclaimed with amazement how much the Christians loved one another. This is what our world needs. This is what our church needs. And the one who provides it, the one who orchestrated this event, who wrote this text, who inspired the writing of this text, is here with us now. He's here amongst us.